amen, amen, amen. Uh, let's give it up for our worship team. I, I tell you what, uh, <laughs> following our worship team on any given Sunday and get asked to preach is always probably the tallest task of the day. Uh, I love listening to our worship team, and I, I hope that you're blessed by them as well. Uh, my name is DJ Iverson. I'm an associate pastor here at New Vintage Church. I just want to say, uh, if you haven't heard it yet from anybody else, uh, Merry Christmas. It's that time of year, Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I'm excited for this Christmas season. Um, uh, yeah, and I just want to say that. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everybody here. Merry Christmas to everybody watching online. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody watching this later. Um, even Merry Christmas to you, Scott. I, I know that, you know, Scott has a tough time getting married sometimes, but uh, I just want to make sure you're covered with a Merry Christmas. Um, so I'm associate pastor here at New Vintage Church, which means I get to do a lot of uh, fun stuff, um, kind of a whatever needs to be done ministry, uh, which I really like. I get to do a lot of cool projects. Uh, but one of my other, one of my many hats here is uh, I take the lead on the graphic design for our church. Uh, I do a lot of the design, not, not all of it, uh, Riley uh, is a phenomenal graphic designer, uh, uh, along with leading worship. Yeah, give Riley a round. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. <clears throat> and um, Ricky, one of our interns, is coming up with that. We've got a handful of really cool artists at our church uh, that I get excited about, uh, just being an art nerd. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of pull the veil back a little bit as we launch this new series called And Triumphant and talk to you about the, the process that we use for coming up with our sermon series. I believe this is our 101st uh, sermon series as a church. So we've done this a few times. And typically what it starts off with is uh, there, there's kind of one of a few ways it goes. Um, we know this time of year we're going to be talking about Advent. We're going to be talking about the birth of Christ in, in some way, shape, or form. We know Easter, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of Christ in some way, shape, or form. We know in the fall, we're going to be doing something family life-oriented. And so we kind of map out in advance. And, and Tim does a lot of this. Um, a lot of times he'll like take a retreat and kind of map out the year. And, and so we have these ideas and we say, let's do this book. Or a lot of times during the summer we'll say, hey, let's do this character. You know, let's do a study on this person. And, and sometimes, like this for this series... Um, it's really how are we going to talk about this this year? What do we want to emphasize? Um, and, and so a lot of times, uh, like great pastors do, they'll invite you to lunch and say, let's, let's sit and talk this out over lunch. And so we went and we said, you know, it's, it, it, Advent season is coming. We want to know what direction we're heading with this. Let's sit down. I convinced Tim to go to a sushi place, which is I knew immediately uh, this was going to be a different year. Uh, convincing Tim to set foot in a sushi place is a task. And uh, we thank the Lord that he did. And, uh, and so we were talking about different ideas and, and kind of spinning our wheels. And I said, you know what? We have forgotten to do one of the things that we always do to kind of kickstart our Christmas brainstorm." We're missing a, a serious piece of the NBC creative puzzle here. 
And Riley kind of rolls her head and she goes, her eyes, and she goes, oh no, it's coming, isn't it? And Tim goes, yeah, let's do this. So I get my phone out and I, uh, I go to YouTube and I type in the catalyst for creativity at Christmas when it comes to NBC programming. And you've heard it before, and I want to bring it up again because this is a tradition, probably fortunately like no other, uh, for NBC. It's the time of year where we get to bless you with the uplifting sounds of one Mr. Johnny Bowtie Barstow. Let's go ahead and bring up the graphic of his album cover. Johnny Bowtie Barstow is a legend for NBC. Uh, let, let's go ahead and leave that graphic up. Um, yeah, this is, as a graphic designer, I appreciate this on a lot of levels. Just the musicality, <laughs> using that term loosely, uh, the design, all of it. But uh, this is one of those things that really helps us get in the Christmas. We just, we were stuck one year, like eight or nine years ago, we were just stuck on Christmas planning. And um, I, I pulled this up. We were like, we were playing different Christmas songs, like trying to get in the Christmas mood. I, I don't know if you guys do that at all. Like you throw on some Christmas music to try and feel Christmassy. And of course, I threw this one in there just to mess with everybody. And we were just all just our ears are bleeding. And, and uh, but we love it. And, uh, and so it's kind of become a tradition now. You know, if we're going to be doing Christmas planning, we're going to have some Johnny Bowtie Barstow in there because obviously anything from Barstow is going to help us uh, be excellent. But um, so, so that's kind of, we, we were joking around about this song, and my, my favorite part about this song, I mean, he doesn't nail a single note in there, uh, but my favorite song is he just triumphant, just joyful and triumphant. And... Uh, <laughs> I just, it gets me every time, and we were talking about that. We were talking about that word triumphant, just, oh, man, he just butchers it, butchers it every time, and, um, and, and so we got to talking about that word, and, and just the place that that word holds in the songs, like, of all the words in that song, to just absolutely butcher. Triumphant is the best. Like, of all the words, you could absolutely just and say it like nobody has ever said it before. Nobody else will say it that way. Just triumphant. And so we got to talking about what it means to be triumphant and the irony there. And that discussion led to a more serious discussion of that song. You know, there's so many things uh, that we can put in front of that word triumphant this time of year. You know, the song calls us to be joyful and triumphant. And, and the truth is, around Christmas time, we don't always feel that way. We don't always feel joyful and triumphant. Sometimes we're exhausted and triumphant. Sometimes we're lonely and triumphant. Sometimes we're absolutely thrilled and overflowed um, 
overflowing in God's uh, blessing, and we're blessed and triumphant, but really no matter what you put at the front of that sentence, at the end of that sentence, you can put triumphant, because Jesus is triumphant through all things. I think Scotty actually did a, a great job of setting this up on the tee, and, and, uh, and so I'm, we're going to bring it home a little bit today, and, and I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of an overview. We're going to kind of skip around in a couple different passages, but over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to explore this idea of a triumphant Christ. And, and here's why. Here, here's why we settle on going with this. A lot of times it's easy for us to forget that despite all the things going on, there's a triumphant Christ at the center of it. And if there's one thing that unites us, I know Christmas can be, uh, the emotions can be all over the place, but if there's one thing that will help center us, if there's one thing that will help unite us, if there's one thing that will help bring us down if we need to be brought down, if you know what I'm talking about, or bring us up if we need to be brought up, is at the center of all this, is there, there's a Christ that is triumphant. And, and it's not necessarily a word that we think of when we think of Christmas. We don't typically think of Christmas in terms of victory. And, and we've done this. We've done Christmas series on peace. We've done uh, Christmas series on the glory of God. We've done uh, Christmas uh, series on a bunch of different emotions, but we've never really talked about it <clears throat> in the context of triumph. Because Christmas, the birth of Christ, the celebration of the birth of Christ, is a victory. It's a victory for this world. It's a victory in the heavens. It's a victory for mankind. It's a victory for God. And it's a victory for God in human form in the life of Jesus Christ. And so, as we approach this season, and I don't know if you're like me, we're kind of ready for some victories. Anybody else feel that way? Like, let's, let's talk about some wins, right? I've heard enough about the losses. I've heard enough about the difficulties and the um, unprecedented whatever. Let's talk about some victories this year. Let's talk about the victory that we have in Christ. Because regardless of where we are today, this word triumphant stays the same. And, and I know it's difficult sometimes to recognize this, but, but let's get a couple things out of the way first. First and foremost, let's remember that this is Christ triumph. And whether you feel triumphant this time of year or not, this is Christ triumph. Whatever word you want to put in front this season, Jesus is triumphant. And, and so I'm going to explore just a few ways that show Christ's triumph. Uh, we're going to talk about Jesus being triumphant in his birth. We're going to be talking about Jesus triumph, being triumphant in his life. And we're going to talk about Jesus being triumphant in his death and what that means for us. And there's a lot of different ways we can take this. We're going to unpack this in several different ways over the course of this series. Um, but I'd like to kind of do a little bit of an overview uh, of his life here and talk about his birth, his life, and his death. Uh, let's start off with Luke chapter 2. My favorite passage when it comes to talking about the birth of Christ. Uh, just to set this up, 
um, kind of combining different accounts from different gospels. Uh, Mary is told that she was going to be with child, that that child was given to her by the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph decided to stay with her, uh, which is uh, already we're shaping up an interesting story here, right? Um, and so there's a census going on at the time. King Herod has called for a census. And so Joseph, um, uh, goes to his hometown and he brings, uh, Mary to his hometown for the census and, uh, so that they can, uh, be registered there. And, and so that's kind of where Luke chapter two picks up here. Luke chapter two, verse four. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, where he was living at the time, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Important little thing right there. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the Messiah holds a special meaning here. Uh, Messiah is like a king, a leader. Uh, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, I'm going to point that out to you. In the midst of this story, we already have a victory chant. The angels are praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. <clears throat> when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. What I'd first like to point out are all of the victories that we see in just this one chapter of the account of the life of Christ and his birth. He's overcome, overcoming travel, overcoming um, <laughs> being born in a manger, all the different obstacles here, all the different things that have to line up for Jesus Christ to be born this way. And what's interesting about this is all of these things point to prophecy from hundreds of years before. 
almost every aspect of Jesus' birth is an answer to either a, either a fulfillment of or an answer to a promise or a prophecy made or a covenant with God. And here's just a few. Jesus was born of a woman. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born of a virgin birth. Jesus would be descendant of Abraham. He'd be a descendant of Isaac. He'd be a descendant of Jacob. He'd be a descendant of David. He'd come from the tribe of Judah. He would be named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. There's just a handful of the things, a handful of the prophecies that Jesus fulfills immediately upon his birth. And if we want to dive deeper into the significance of Jesus being from Bethlehem, it was a joke in the Old Testament. What could come from this town, right? There's, there's a, a, a prophecy in Micah about this, saying, no, from this small town of Bethlehem, our Savior will rise. And, and so every step along the way, we see these prophecies being fulfilled and I want to put to us today that these are triumphs. This is God delivering on his promises. This is God winning over any obstacle that might be in the way. God has been working on this plan for the redemption of man since Genesis 3, really. Yeah. Right? And it says in John 1 that, that Jesus, the word, was with God in the beginning. And so from the beginning of time, from the beginning of mankind, from, from the first time that mankind fell into sin, this plan of restoration has been in action. And Jesus is the fulfillment, like Jesus is this major milestone. And so this, if you're reading this from a context of looking at the prophecies that are being fulfilled, What's being pointed out here is, oh my goodness, God is answering all of these prophecies. God is delivering on all of these promises here. What else is he going to do with the life of this Messiah? What else is he going to do with Emmanuel here, this, this baby, right? And, and we won't even talk about <laughs> just the fact that the king, right, the Messiah that's supposed to lead God's people is born in a manger and what that means and, and how different that is and how much that might catch people off guard. But what it does is it reorients the victory a little bit. And we're going to talk about that for just a second here, or in just a second here. But by fulfilling all of these prophecies, God is showing his faithfulness. Of all the things that could possibly stand in the way, God has triumphed. And what this does is it gives strength and credibility to Jesus Christ. So when Jesus starts preaching in a few years and he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, people know that he's speaking from authority. When Jesus says, this is the way things will be, he's speaking on behalf of a God who is already victorious. And so 
it, it lends so much strength. It lends so much power to the words that Jesus is going to give us in his life. And so let's go there. Jesus was triumphant in his life. And um, I was asked if I was going to throw a Bill and Ted reference in here. Um, you know, the word triumphant is really special for Bill and Ted fans. That's about all I'm going to do with it. Uh, because I, it, it, my, my duty is fulfilled throwing that reference in there. But I want us to understand what this means to be triumphant in life. I, I want us to take a look at, and, and there's a lot of different ways that, that we can kind of pull this apart. Um, here's where I'd like to go with this today. God with us is the triumph. The name Emmanuel means God with us or Lord with us. And that's exactly what he did. And um, in John 1, 14, it says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus gave up his spot in heaven, his place, his title, that the presence, right, of being fully with God to dwell with us. And I like that word dwell. I, I like that that's how we've translated that word, dwell. It's not just he was here at the same time. It's not just he walked with us. But there's a sense of, like, when I hear, if I was going to tell you that um, I'd like to dwell at your house for Christmas, would you think that's a short trip? No. Now, you're worried about me moving in, and rightfully so. <laughs> rightfully so, Right? If your uncle says, hey, I want to come dwell with you for Christmas, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, when the Christmas decorations go, you go, right? Right? Like, we get a sense of staying. And not just staying, but, but being with. And not just there, not just present, but actually being with. This is a place I'm going to choose to relax, a choose um, to, to, to live, right? We're not just going to be together, but I'm going to live here. I, I think of um, uh, one of my favorite jobs right now. I'm the volunteer art teacher for my son's pre, uh, TK class. Um, teaching 14 four-year-olds how to paint is probably the most fun I've had in a long time. It, it's exhausting. It is a blast. Um, because they don't just paint. They, like, get the paint, like, in the hands, and then boom, right? My, my family with kids is like, yes, we know, <laughs> right? And our next project, I think, is clay. And I'm just, like, you know, getting this image of, like, kids squeezing their hand in the clay. And, and that's kind of the, what I think about when I think about dwell here. It's like your hands are in there and, you, you know, Jesus has his hands in our lives and there's like that little like Play-Doh like stickiness uh, that comes with it, you know. And um, that, that's the imagery of Art Nerd, 
Sorry, just roll with me. Uh, but that's the imagery I get when I hear this word dwell. And so when he says he's going to dwell with us, what I love about this is there's a sense there of that he's, he's meeting into our lives, right? He, he's in the mess. He's in the joy. He's in whatever it is. And, and what I love, too, is he dwells with all of us. He dwells with all of us. There are people right now that I know that are absolutely fighting recognizing this in their life. Like they're actively saying, I'm just going to pretend he's not there. I'm going to try and push him out, whatever. And, and God is still dwelling in their lives. And there's people that fully embrace this, that say, that say come Jesus. Just every nook and crane, just, just put your hands in here. Get as messy as you want. Take my heart, whatever. And, and everywhere in between, wherever we stand today, Christ is dwelling there. What I also love about Jesus and his life, and one of the other ways that I want to look at his life as a triumph is he completely redefines the way we look at what it means to live. He completely redefines. Jesus is absolutely triumphant in redefining what life should look like. He comes into uh, a culture that says right is might. That may sound familiar. He comes into a culture that says um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth is justice. That may sound familiar. And, and he absolutely flips that on its head. My favorite way, one of my favorite passages in the Bible um, is Jesus absolutely redefining what it means to have a triumphant life. Uh, Matthew 5, chapter 3, uh, yeah, Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, I love that Jesus begins one of his um, early messages. This is um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is how Jesus begins this. And, and it's kind of, in the account of Matthew, it's kind of early on in Jesus' ministry. And, and I like to think of how shocked people would have been to, to hear this. They say, you know what, that's me. If this is the Messiah... And the Messiah is flipping all of this upside down. I may actually be victorious here. If this is the Son of God who's fulfilled all these prophecies, all these things I've heard about, all these miracles and signs that he's, he's done and is doing. And if this is true, what, what Jesus is saying is he's completely redefining what victory looks like in our lives. 
Victory isn't about getting the most fill in the blank. It's about serving, right? It's not about what can I conquer. It's about what can I give? How can I humble myself? What kind of peace can I bring? Not what kind of war can I conquer? Jesus is absolutely redefining what it means to have a triumphant life here. And the best part about this is he did it himself. He lived this out. The same Jesus that was born in a manger is the same Jesus that's saying we're called to be humble, right? Blessed are those who are meek. Well, Jesus was the king of the meek. This is his triumph. This is how Jesus wins. I also like um, John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Jesus is putting himself out there as the example. He knows who he is and he knows that he has the ability to be our example. That's his call. My favorite athletes, um, I, I'm a big sports guy. There's going to be some sports talk in here. You knew it was coming. My favorite athletes are the guys who know their role models. Absolutely love those guys. Now, I root for guys that, you know, maybe don't want any attention, don't repress, and I understand that. But my favorite athletes are the guys that thrive in the spotlight, not just on the field or on the court, but they get that they're a role model elsewhere. Um, you know, Scotty came on board uh, our church staff a few years ago, which means all of us had to become basketball fans. Um, you, you may not know this, but Scotty is a huge uh, Warriors fan. Um, if you're friends with him on social media, you may have seen that. And so we all decided one day, um, you know, we should just pick a basketball team so that way we can talk with Scotty about basketball. And uh, I picked the Milwaukee Bucks a few years ago. And there's a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's a big dude from Greece. And uh, just this week, uh, he, he did something that was really cool. And it's one of those things where it's like, man, this guy gets it. Now, he's got the stats to back it up. He's got a championship to back it up. But to be honest, I don't know his stats. I know he's great. I know he's one of the best defensive guys in basketball. I know he's a blast to watch. Um, but nobody talks bad about him. And, and here's why. He does stuff like this. He sees a kid at a Milwaukee Bucks game. And other athletes have done this as well. I'm not saying it's just him. But I just love these kinds of stories. He sees this kid wearing his jersey at a game. A little, little short kid. Hey, all I want for my birthday is to meet Giannis, you know? Great. Game's over. He brings the kid down. He's, you know, and just the image of this, you know, <laughs> little like four or five-year-old kid and a seven-foot-tall basketball player already gone. This is, this is cool. Like, we love these moments, right? Um, and he says, here you go, my man. Uh, like, let's get a picture together. You wanted to meet me? Here we go. And the kid goes, it's actually my brother's birthday. And he goes, well, let's bring your brother down. 
And he looks up, and the brother is wearing a jersey of the other team, <laughs> a player on the other team. And he goes, no, no, come on down anyway. And he says, we need to get you a better jersey. And he takes his jersey off, and he gives it to the brother, who was too shy to come down. And he takes his shoes, and he, and he goes, your brother can have the jersey, you get my shoes. Which that's a big deal, you know, NBA players, they sign their shoes, they hand them to kids. And I love these stories like that. And they asked him later, he goes, I don't know who those kids are, but I guarantee they're going to be Bucks fans for a long time. And I was like, that guy gets it. That guy gets it, right? We have these moments when we see people, hey, they're not just walking the walk, or they're not just talking the talk, they're walking the walk. They understand the place that they have in our culture. They understand that they can leverage who they are for the benefit of other people, Right? And that's what Jesus teaches us by walking with us. Anything that we want to know about how we live, we have an example in the Bible of how Jesus would handle that situation, right? Now, maybe some of the details change. I don't think Jesus had a Facebook page, despite uh, me being friends with him online. Pretty sure it's not him, based on some of the posts. But some, so some of the details have changed, but the principles are all there, Right? How are you going to treat people? What are you going to say? What are you not going to say? How are you going to make people feel? Any question that we have about how to live, Jesus has already answered that for us. And I think that makes us victorious. Lastly, Jesus is triumphant in death. Jesus is triumphant in death. Jesus knew it was coming. He willingly sacrificed himself. It's part of the plan all along. And um, here's the fun part about an epic story. It's a lot easier to read the story afterwards and kind of pick it apart but imagining being in the midst of the story now, uh, w when you're in the story and it's happening, it's a lot more difficult. And I think that's the part that gets lost on us sometimes when we talk about Jesus' death. You know, there's a moment there where 12 apostles lose a very dear friend. Where a lot of disciples lose a mentor. And, and they have a promise to hold on to. And they have some unspeakable joy coming up. But in that moment, it may not feel like victory. But John says this. John chapter 14, verse 6. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was our last passage. Uh, Acts says this. The book of Acts says this. Acts 2, verse 22 through 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him, from the agony of death because it was impossible 
for death to keep its hold on him. Amen and amen is right. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus Christ. Uh, Of all the things, all the things that Jesus triumphed over, sickness, illness, people talking about him, people trying to kill him, literally from birth, of all the things that Jesus triumphed over. Jesus, Jesus triumphs over the one thing that nobody else could. Jesus triumphs over death. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will, he all. how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And maybe today we rephrase that a little bit and say, if God is for us, what can be against us? What will stand against us? My encouragement today, you know, we've, we've talked about the, Jesus being triumphant in birth. We've talked about Jesus being triumphant in life. We've talked about Jesus being triumphant in death. My encouragement for us this season is that we orient ourselves around the triumphant Jesus. That's what we center our lives around. I will say the war on Christmas. Kind of chuckle. That war was won a long time ago. Jesus was triumphant then, right? The other side may get a couple tackles in, but the game's decided. Christ's triumph in our life may be something new or something that we haven't experienced yet. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, DJ, I get this. I understand you're excited about Jesus. You have no idea how lonely I am. Jesus is still triumphant. Maybe Christ's triumph is something we're living out now. Say, DJ, I get this. I know that Christ is triumphant. I'm, I'm in the process. I'm working every day to make Jesus the center of my life. Awesome. Keep going. May the Lord bless you on your journey, right? Or maybe you're at a place where Christ's triumph has long been discovered. And and you've been living that out. And and so now it's, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? What kind of legacy is Christ's triumph going to leave through my life? I've done this for years. I, I've known that Jesus Christ has been triumphant my whole has been triumphant my whole life. What kind of legacy are we leaving behind with that? Uh, just some real talk. I understand there's a lot of emotions at Christmas. Uh, my dad passed in 2006. Um, in 2007, my mom said, "Let's go to New York City for Christmas." It's me, my mom, and my sister. And uh, 
it was kind of like uh, Christmas of 06 was pretty difficult, but we were still kind of numb the first Christmas without a family member. And, and so 07 was, maybe let's put, let's kind of do the numbing thing again. That was good last year. Let's maybe do that again. And, and we'll put some great adventures in here. And we did. We had a blast. Christmas in New York City, it's a little bit better than Barstow. Um, but it, it's, I, I think it's absolutely magical. We, um, you know, just the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Square, um, you know, ice skating. We um, just seen everything decorated up. My mom surprised us with a helicopter tour of New York City, which is absolutely amazing. I'm pretty sure my sister passed out, but I was excited about it. I, I thought it was fun. Um, and, uh, and my sister and I one night, we left mom in the hotel, and we decided to see how far we could walk down Manhattan. And um, I think we stayed up to like four in the morning. And it was basically go a couple blocks, grab a slice of pizza, walk the next few blocks. As soon as we were done with that slice, we'd grab another one and just on repeat to like four in the morning. And it was, it was, a, it was a great adventure. Um, but we were still sad. We were still coming home. We were still coming home to a hotel room with a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And there was still something missing there. And so I've had those Christmases. I know. Uh, this year, we have a three and five-year-old. Uh, Christmas is going to be awesome. Christmas is already awesome, right? Like the excitement that's building. Like our kids, like the second the turkey's done, are like, so, Santa, let's talk, right? And, I mean, the joy, like the difference in joy around Christmas, having a three and five-year-old versus like, eating pizza around New York City at three in the morning to, you know, not think about stuff. You know, that, that's the ends of the spectrum. So I've been there. And, and here's the truth. From my, it's, I'm preaching to myself here. If you want to listen in, that, that's fine. We replace these temporary emotions with eternal joy. God's kingdom is a place for prodigals on both sides right, whether they're on the front side of being the prodigal or the back side of being the prodigal or whether they're the dad welcoming people home, uh, God's kingdom comes for all of those. God is triumphant in all of that. So whatever, whatever the word that comes before and triumphant, let's focus on the fact that God is triumphant. That's where the graph comes into play. All these other pieces on the board all these other pieces on the chessboard, at some point, they bow down to the king. And one king stands triumphant. And that's how we get into this series called And Triumphant. It wouldn't be a victory without a victory dinner, right? When we were kids, you won a t-ball game, you went to Bull Weevil. You got some good barbecue, those red cups full of ice, and uh, way too much soda. In church, we do it a little bit better. We do communion time. I'm going to ask our volunteers to come forth. If you didn't get communion on the way in, just raise your hand, and our volunteers will cover you. Um, there's different ways to take communion. There's, there's solemn ways. There's excited ways. Let me, let me encourage you today, if you will, join us as this is a celebratory dinner. It's a dinner that Jesus himself established. 
that says I'm triumphant. It may not look like it now, but in the end, I'm triumphant. The triumphant birth, the triumphant life, and yes, there will be a triumphant death and a life after that. And, and so I encourage us as we take part of this communion, whatever it is in front of and triumphant, let's, let's put our focus on Jesus Christ, the triumphant King. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for this time together where we celebrate your victories, God. And I know for some of us, we don't feel like that. Some of us are living in that victory. And God, some of us have been experiencing that victory all of our lives. And we're excited to share that victory with others, to, to welcome others onto the, into that victory. And, and so God, this season, for whatever is going on, with all the craziness and shopping, distractions, whatever it is, God, we know that in the center of this, is a victorious Christ, is a Christ who has triumphed over all. And God, we thank you for him. We thank you for his body, for his blood, and his sacrifice. In his holy name we pray. Amen.